In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, Christ Church Cathedral. It is such a pleasure to be back in Nashville, although I barely remember it. From 25 years ago, so much has, has changed. Since when I was here in Nashville, I was teaching at Vanderbilt Divinity School at the time, in the mid-1990s. And uh, this became my spiritual home. I learned centering prayer here from Tom Ward. Remember Tom Ward? Yes, and with so many of you here. And so it's a pleasure to be back. In fact, does anyone, is anyone here that remembers me from 25 years ago? Yes, uh, you're old, you're old, you're old. And, uh, <laughs> seems to be very little that's old anymore in Nashville. I see even the customs houses for over there. I was thinking of buying it and living there with a few thousand of my closest friends. Thank you, Dean Timothy, for inviting me here this morning and for Bishop John, Bishop John Bauerschmidt, for also extending the invitation for me to return and, and give a sermon here. This is a special place. This is a holy place. This is the presence of God in the Anglican family of chur churches in downtown Nashville. I look forward to greeting as many of you as can remain following the service. But for now, I want to call your attention to the gospel lesson assigned for this Sunday, where the disciples come to Jesus and said, Teacher, we saw someone casting out evil in your name. Tell him to stop. Tell him to stop it. Let us pray to God for inspiration. Let us pray. Tell us what we need to hear, O oh God, and show us, show us what we need to do to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mary Frances Beckley started at Juniata College in Pennsylvania over 80 years ago. She didn't fit in. You see, Mrs. Beckley was left-handed. So when she went out for the women's tennis team, the coach wasn't quite sure what to do with her. He hadn't run across that before. So he ended up sending her off to a separate tennis court, a separate tennis court, to practice with a guy from the men's team who was also, yes, left-handed. Well, eventually these two left-handed outcasts got acquainted with each other, fell in love, and got married several years later. Now, later on in life, having done quite well, Mary Frances Beckley decided she wanted to leave some money to Juniata College for scholarships for needy But she attached one condition to her gift. Actually, I should use this hand. <laughs> She said that the money could only be given to needy students who were left-handed. So to this day, every year, two financially needy left-handed students at Juniata College in Huntington, Pennsylvania receive between four or $5,000 in scholarships because of Mary Frances Beckley's left-handedness. Being left-handed wasn't easy especially in her day. Some of you may remember in first grade when the teacher is showing the class how to write with their right hands, of course. 
And those poor left-handed students sat at their desks for right-handed students, dragging their hands across the paper, smearing up everything that they've written. Or when they play softball in gym class, there are usually too many gloves for left-handers. So they were left trying to make do with the right-handed glove, like everybody else. It used to be that when teachers saw, saw children using their left hand, they would tell them to stop it, be right-handed. They tried their best to get those kids to use their right hands so that they wouldn't be different, so they'd be like everybody else, so that they would conform. There just seems to be something inside of us that makes us, well, uncomfortable when we run across a person or persons or communities who are different than us. In the gospel lesson, the disciples went to Jesus and said, Teacher, somebody's doing a great work. Yeah, they're doing okay. Casting out demons, you don't see that every day. But tell them to stop it. Because he's not one of us. He's not in our group. He's not in our community. And of course, Jesus said, I will not. I will not. And in fact, that whole gospel lesson had to do with those who don't fit the mold. When sometimes, even in the church, when we find people who don't fit the mold, sometimes even the church says, get rid of them. But Jesus says, that is being judgmental. Do not judge, he said later in the gospel, lest ye be judged. Well, I'm going to argue with Jesus a little bit. Sometimes we must judge, right? What does it mean to judge your neighbor? Aren't we supposed to judge in a positive way? Such as being a good judge of character, isn't that what we're supposed to do in elections, political elections? Does character matter anymore? Even the scriptures give us several warnings against allowing sin to become the norm in the community. You have to judge what that is. The problem today, you could argue, is that there's not enough judgment going around. This contributes to an anything-goes kind of attitude that's so pervasive in our culture. I recall at a general convention of the Episcopal Church several years ago, and one of the delegates, one of the deputies to the convention had a T-shirt that had on it, I'm making it up as I go. Well, I don't want my leaders to make it up as they go. I want them to have some judgment on the weighty matters before us. The church has made judgments throughout history, and not all of them have been good. You remember the Crusades? Is John Bridges here? John, yeah, you're just, John, you maybe have something to do with my being here. John Bridges taught me, how, taught me and a thousand other guys how to be a gentleman. <laughs> you don't know his books. And uh, he was one of my old friends from 25 years ago, and I see he's on the vestry now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> But even John wasn't around when the Crusades happened in the Middle Ages. 
when Christians, in the name of Christ, went to the Holy Land to get rid of those who were not with us. The Saracens, the Muslims, they killed them. But that wasn't all. The Jews, not following us, they killed them. But that wasn't all. Even the Christians, now we call them the Arab Christians who've been there since the time of Christ, even they were slain by the crusaders from Europe because they weren't European, they were not one of us. The crusades, when the streets ran with red, with rivers of blood from the slain, bad judgment. But that wasn't the only one. For most of its history, the church judged that half of the human population who were women could not, could not take leadership because the disciples were male, that is, the twelve, and women were locked out. Bad judgment. For most of human history, its history, the the church said it is okay, and we even theologized that it was God's will that people of European extraction would enslave and steal the lives of persons from Africa for human gain, for, for profit. And then after slavery, the next 120-some years of Jim Crow, segregation, oppression, no good jobs, no good education, no good housing. And the church not only condoned it, the church and the Episcopal church especially judgment. Galileo was assigned to hell because he used his God-given gifts of cognition to see that the earth is not the center of the world. Bad judgment. Those who are oriented to the same gender, but they're not one of us, cast them out. Bad judgment. We need to make a distinction then, don't we, between being judgmental on the one hand and being discerning on the other. Judgment, in, the good, in, in that sense, is to be condemnatory, is to be judgmental. We all know such persons, right? We're judgmental people, right? Yes. We are those people. We are so frequently judgmental. The disciples were. Judgmentalism is a sin. It's a social evil that eats at the soul. It's the habit of constantly finding fault with what others say and do, and it's the habit of constantly finding something wrong with them. And you define them however you want. It just means they're not us. It's a disease of the spirit. The judgmental person arrogantly assumes a superiority that entitles him or her to a certain standing or class. Discernment, on the other hand, to discern means understanding, is to see a situation as God sees it, or to see persons as God sees them. 
Whereas judgment, judging flows from the well of pride, discernment arises from the ground of humility. The ground in Latin, humos, the earth. The humble person is grounded, grounded. The disciples were judging, not discerning. And sadly, the church has been judging for 2,000 years. Jesus tried to warn us. Due to their being judgmental and not discerning, the clue was this. The statement to Jesus, Lord, he, that guy, was not following us. Notice they didn't say, not following you, Jesus. Not following us. We are the standard. We are the judge. We men, we who are close to you, and they're not one of us. Jesus got angry. And that's when he went into emphatic language. Do not prevent the, any of these children from coming to me. None of my children. And he said, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. It would be better if parts of your body were thrown into hell than to be judgmental against my children. In a few minutes, we're going to baptize. We're going to baptize and the other. I, I don't have the full. Ann. Ann. There you are, Ann. Hi, Ann. Who's, what's to prevent these children from being baptized? Well, 50 years ago, 80 years ago, a lot. And you'll see why. But not today. Not in the Episcopal Church today. We will make no peace with oppression anywhere today. We will judge no one for who they are today because we are just trying to follow our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the closer we get to the reality of Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, the closer we then get to every human being, every human being, of whatever nation and race and religion and class. They are all our brothers and sisters because we are Christians. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.